0: Hello and welcome back to Control-Lot-Delete. This is a replay of an episode from 2020 with Laura Dockrill, an award-winning author and illustrator. What Have I Done is an incredibly moving and honest memoir on motherhood, mental health and postpartum psychosis. In this episode we discuss Laura's journey, her recovery, what it's like when a raw blog article about your mental health goes viral and why this book is a love letter to her family and friends. I hope you enjoy re-listening to this episode or discovering it for the first time. I have not read a book this quickly in years and I just want you to know that this is just the most incredible book I think I've I've read in like years. Thank you. Oh
1: Emma, thank you for reading it. I saw that post yesterday and I felt, especially in this time like anyway to hear anything from anybody you know and is so dear to your heart and then to hear that was just it
0: made my whole day so thank you well actually it made more than that my whole yeah week a month <laughs> oh it's it's just i think it's just going to be a mega book for a lot of people and i i just think you're starting a whole new conversation and it's so needed but i thought i'd start off with a bit of an obvious question but just because i'm a fan of your work in general and i've been following you And your work for years and I love your novels and your young adult books and your poetry and I I just wondered how was this different the kind of the actual writing of it?
1: I think the thing that was most different well obviously writing it on my phone was really different in a practical sense so I just thought if I did it on my phone then I could do it around Jet when he was sleeping and it felt a lot more it didn't feel as formal and I the, the illness also I, I never experienced mental illness before it took me by such a shock not that it wouldn't even if you have experienced it before but um I kind of just didn't want it to like infect any of my other areas of work and I felt like mm-hmm. if it was on my laptop it would like bleed into like my children's work and like and it would just be really gross and I was scared of that so I did it all on my phone and Sent off in these sort of mini chapters in which I've never worked before, but now I ha- I do actually work like that quite a lot now, which has been really a, a great thing to find out. Also, I wrote this purely to save my own life; like it was only like as I was writing it that I thought, oh actually, um and and because at this point when I was beginning it, I but I hadn't heard from other women that have gone through this or had Mm. been brave enough to tell me that they had suffered from something like this or they were. So I kind of a lot of illness does this too. It makes you think that you're the only person that has ever experienced this or will ever experience it. And it's all your fault. And it wasn't as I was kind of writing it, I was feeling all these women say to me, Oh no, I had that, I had that and so it wasn't as as the writing was sort of happening I was realising that I was doing something that could, as you said, just start a conversation and I've never had that before. So it does feel more like a kind of, that's that probably documentary style that you're maybe getting from the book is because I was, my mind was switching and learning as I was writing it.
0: Yeah, and I also felt like you were pulling back the curtain on something that basically this could happen to anyone Mm. and this is not something that anyone asks for or any it's not a logical thing. It's like, I think it was just quite, amazing reading something that let you in I really got that sense of like this happened and I don't know how it happened and I was fine in quotes you know even a few months ago before it happened
1: oh yeah I was fine the um three weeks before it happened you know um I've met women um many I work closely now with action on postpartum psychosis which is an incredible charity that supports um women that have gone through my illness and um mm-hmm. or are going through it too and women have said that this is just they've literally felt it coming on like during labor this like it's interesting I I think I've managed to dial the fear down on it kind of learning on you know they do say knowledge Mm -hmm. is power and it's so true it's like I was so scared of this thing but when you try and understand as one can best understand psychosis or mental illness but see it as science you know but in the past psychosis often took the form of you know a devil hijacking you or you know um, a religious kind of Entity that's come into your body. And they say that now psychosis is more, you know, like the government or technology. But it does feel like that. It feels like something's kind of leapt into your body that wasn't there before. And I just thought, how can I not, how can I not document this in that way? Even originally before I put it into paper. But saying to my family, I could literally feel it coming on. As it was coming, I would say to my sister, it's coming now. Like I could warn her. And the shame and the guilt, the Fact that people feel that whilst going through this is just you do not need shame or guilt. That is just going to slow the whole recovery process down because it's not mm. your fault. It's nobody's fault, as you say. When I had got better, I got um from NHS a referral to speak to the leading psychiatrist in my illness, who's a really lovely doctor called Professor Ian Jones. He works in my illness and bipolar disorder, and I had this long list of questions on this Skype. Like, why me? Because you you just spent hours kind of ruminating, like beating yourself up, analysing your past. Oh shit! I didn't really look after that. That well, when I was young, so maybe that's why I fell out with that friend and I didn't do that very well. I could have done that better, you know. I asked for it, kind of thing. And um, he just said to me, I said, Why me? and he just was like, It just wasn't your day. That was it, it just wasn't your day. See it like you've been hit by a car, and I was like, Oh wow, like, and that's just helped me live with it. And people always say, You know, mentally ill people are scary. It's like, No, 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 like, there's no one more scared of it than yeah. us the person mm. suffering because we don't know what this is but as you say it can happen to anybody
0: yeah and and the book itself I just want to say because obviously you are an incredible writer and the way you wrote this book I know you said you wrote it on your phone which I can't believe reading it is is there's this kind of present moment of it and I could not put it down because I fe- I just felt like I was with you but then you've also got this kind of underlying empathy for your past self which is very mm. moving to read cuz you're it's almost like you're looking back and you're cu- you're writing the book kind of with a hindsight i mean that was the, probably the, one of the main things that i was um, traumatized
1: for um was and um, just grieving for my my past self and you know we're roughly the same age like and you mm. do i know your book is um is roughly about the same sort of, you know, that kind of coming of age story where you're starting to just about find out who you maybe are as a person. It takes a long time to kind of go, okay, maybe I'm okay with who this person is now. Mm. And then this kind of tornado just comes out of nowhere. And I mean, when I say, when I, once I came out of this psychiatric ward, I was home, I plummeted into a depression, which happens to a lot of people after psychosis. I've never felt anything like it. Like you're, whole confidence and self esteem is so below zero like i couldn't my voice changed my gait changed the way i looked and carried myself was completely different and th- that is you are grieving for you can't remember that person that you ever you can't even imagine walking into a shop and asking for a coffee let alone being on stage in front of children in a school hall and mm-hmm. you you just shrink it's the saddest weirdest thing and actually that's the thing i think a lot of mums have written to me about and related to is Someone said to me once, yeah, the the birth of them is the death of you. And it totally is. You have to kind of then rebuild yourself right there and then whilst having a newborn to look after. It's a massive challenge.
0: Yeah. And and hearing your voice as you're kind of describing certain situations. I think the thing with this book is like, even though I kind of had like my heart in my chest, like beating when I was reading it because I felt so much. I also did laugh a few times because (laughs) there's this element of you kind of there's like a ridiculousness to some of it which <laughs> yeah. is kind of like i kind of felt myself laughing and i was like i think you're also sort of wanting maybe that relief from the reader because some of it is just like wild
1: yeah it's mental and i do use <laughs> these words like mad and mental because that's the only vocabulary we're given because guess what? They don't teach this stuff at school, which is just madness in itself. How can you not prepare people for this stuff? This is the actual yeah. stuff that makes the planet turn. And when old people say life is hard, this is what they're talking about. Absolutely. You have to have a twinkle in your eye. Right. And I think, I mean, I loved, I don't know if you saw Nanette ever on, um, oh, uh, yes. by yeah, yeah. I got very
0: drunk by myself watching that. <laughs> oh my God. She's
1: just, I just love it. We were we went to Paris for Jet's first birthday. We just decided to really—I mention it in the book—but to really spoil ourselves, and we were like, "Oh, gutted!" Because we had to be, a, you know, all in at like nine o'clock with a baby, and we're like, oh, "We want to go out in Paris." And we luckily got some really nice wine and found the net. And I was like, "Actually, I'm really happy that we're in a hotel and watching this." And but in it, she talks about how laughter is the most amazing. I know it's cliche, but it is amazing medicine because it releases tension in it. And what for, it's done for me is alleviate so much of, well, shame and guilt, but actually it's enriched me so much having like my friends be able to say to me like that they have experienced a suicidal thought or they felt um, intrusive thoughts or they felt really weird or emotional or whatever they felt. And that's because I think if you approach something with a curiosity, it, it is a kind of you do feel like you're pushing your tongue into an ulcer to see if the madness kind of comes back, if it comes, you know, you're kind of always dodging around this thing. But in truth, this could happen to anybody. As I say, you know, you could lose your job and you could experience a psychotic episode. Like it could happen from it to anybody. So I feel if we don't approach of curiosity, we shrink from it. And that's not, the best thing to do. It's actually better to, as you say, draw the curtains open on this thing and go, what are you? What have you done to me? And wow, you, as you say, you are wild. Like some of the madness I was doing, it's just like one of my friends does does an impression of me when I um, when she rang me at the psychiatric ward and why was I going on like Sherlock Holmes? (laughs) And I was just like, so basically um, what it is, right, is like just, she does this great and it's like, I love it that she can take the piss out of me in that way because I must have sounded, I'm her friend and I've gone mad. (laughs)
0: And there's a bit, I think, where you mentioned something about your mum's sausage dog or something. And, then, oh. so, and, then, <laughs> and yeah. it's just suddenly you're taken from this, like, you know, a, a dark chapter, but then you'll suddenly <laughs> remember that there are these moments of just like a bit of humour. But like you say, this sort of like opening up and drawing back the curtain on everything. One thing I did think when I was reading your book is I just wish, and I'm not a mum, but I don't know why there is this like pretense on social media that we all have to be nailing it at all times. Um, Because I know that you, you mentioned that in the book a little bit, like there's this kind of competitive nature of like, who's doing it better. And, and all of that, I'm sure didn't help. Totally not. And, um,
1: I was, so, I was just thinking about the sausage dog. I love that bit. Um, <laughs> my sister always says, I wish you told um, everyone a bit about themselves and blamed it on your psychosis. I'm like, yeah, I should have. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Although, you know, I had a really great podcast with that we did a while ago, but it's not been released yet, but um, it will come out later around the book release, but with Clemmie Telford. And I did feel like that. I felt like I'd had this baby and... Um, and everybody else was having babies and they all seemed to be doing it really fine what was wrong with me was i'm unmaternal and cold and mean and it, and i think it's become a kind of character storybook stereotype that you know the kind of twisted bitter mean old stepmother that just can't you know she's she's not maternal and she's cold and spiky and jealous and like it seems like you either fall into the really maternal like roses in your hair sort of thing or you are the mean old spinster And that's your kind of two Disney options. And very quickly you become that. But Clemy said a really important thing. She said, we're all kind of, yes, it doesn't help. But actually at the same time, that kind of lipstick and hoop earrings and leopard print jacket that's like yeah, babes, I've got this whole baby thing whilst eating an avocado and whatever. Actually, that could be their war paint. That's like their way of surviving the day and like their partner might not be at home and they're kind of doing this on this struggle on their own. And there is something to be said for that too. So the more I've kind of... I think actually in truth, and I think Instagram has really come into its own in this crisis that's going on at the moment, but mm. actually everybody is just getting on, aren't they? Everybody really is yeah. just doing their best. And if you have gone beyond the veil in whatever realm that is, you know, You, I just feel like you know when someone is going through it or has gone through it and you only need to stand at a bus stop and think everybody here is going to go through something or has or will. And um, that's the most empowering thing you can take from trauma is plugging yourself into the universe and going, I am not the only one and just be a bit more kind and gentle
0: and realise everyone is going through it. Such a good point. Uh such a good point. Because actually what we see is not what we get in terms of it's not even fair to judge that person for maybe pretending in that moment because it's like if that's gonna get them through then who are we to judge and actually there is a there's that bit, bit in your book where and it did make me laugh because it was, it was almost like the um the extreme version of like instagram goals where you you were really struggling but you sort of had the lavender spray out you had like the oh. classic fm on the radio <laughs> and you were you were trying to trying to make things okay and and actually we can't judge anyone for, for any of their actions
1: absolutely I just thought oh the um, midwife's coming I better be doused in flour with a smile on my and I literally felt my face as soon as she left I felt my face like crack off like and I was like oh my god I'm actually in a horror film now I mean yeah definitely and um I think it just takes a it takes a lot anyway doesn't it this whole when you're when you go when you go through a life thing I would like people say to me oh this is brave it's courageous it's actually I think it's braver and more courageous in a way to keep it to yourself because I just don't know how people do that yeah. I I don't know how you can't I would never advise keeping it to yourself I would talk about it as much as you can because now that I'm on the other side and speaking about it I don't care if it's infecting every you know if it goes around like boiling hot oil you know trickling around the roads going this really does happen and if it makes people feel like father christmas doesn't exist you know it's like but this is the truth like and actually it relieves you so much like sitting on that all day mm. all the time is just i kind of think of a worse prison than that
0: absolutely it's like that brene brown quote which is shame can't exist with empathy and the more people Ugh get it the the shame cannot survive basically when you share with others and they love you I love that
1: yes that's I love Breno Brown she's so good so good that is absolutely it that's so true and um that's why I'm that's what I'm happy for it's like it's a shame that I had to find this out for myself the hard way but um, now that I've am I'm, I'm I found this out I, in my early 30s, I'm like, thank you, because this is going to apply for the whole rest of my life. And it's informed what's happening right now. You know, I can deal with it because I've learned the tools to be able to. And my friends can actually honestly say to me, I don't think people actually really did speak to me on that level before this happened. I don't think I would have been able
0: to go there. You know, it's interesting that um, you mentioned earlier about like the, what's going on at the moment with the pandemic, because I do feel like when... Really awful things happen. um We have nowhere to go or hide, and therefore we become more connected because it's like the jig is up. Like, yes. no, no one has got this sorted. We're all struggling, and I don't know. It just everything else like fades away.
1: That is so true. Absolutely, and I was thinking of saying to Hugo the other day, like. You know, those kind of like club owners that like go around, must go around being like flashy and like, my life's so great. And it's like, People must be going through so much right now. This is not just about the worry of losing loved ones and what money and everything. It's like actually your whole identity could be built on on that. Yeah. you know, it's on this kind of pretense that you give out through social media. And actually, this is a this is obviously and the obvious things. Of course, people feeling trapped and anxious. And I can't imagine going through postpartum psychosis at this time. Mm. I was saying to my friends, I was like, my conspiracies would have been off the charts right now if I was unwell. But yeah, it's just it's really it's taken exactly as you say, it's the jig is up, that everyone's wool is pulled off their eyes and it's like we're out on our own now. And that's why I'm grateful I am grateful for learning what I did. It was hard. But that's my new thing what I'm trying to do though, Emma. I want to um, talk about this stuff at school, so I don't want this to be a secret.
0: being someone that does speak to children anyway someone that can actually convey this in a way that is very you know not everyone can write a book in this way I I just feel like this is a real start of something and it's amazing that you can turn it into what you're doing but talking of Clemmie Telford just quickly because she is a brilliant podcast host and um, writer herself and she's like an influencer you wrote something for her website didn't you a a few years ago and then and the book did the book sort of come from that going absolutely everywhere
1: Yeah. So I did that when Jet was six months. I just felt like, I don't want to uh, say that it is like coming out, but it felt like that's the closest thing I can imagine it to talking to my friends was like, I had this massive, massive secret that I kind of knew some people were going, you know, Oh, did this, did this happen? This happened? Did this happen? And I think there's a very, it's very easy to have a kind of, tabloid sensationalized version of what a, a a mentally ill person looks like but be somebody with postnatal depression looks like very quickly especially with psychosis people go to the darkest place they can find and think that you're like a baby killer or something like that and there's this kind of Jane Eyre version of of you being like in a straight jacket in a padded cell and um or athelia like kind of drowning yourself and I was just like this is just too much basically I don't think Mm -hmm. I can so I with Clevy I'd met her only once before we had our babies around the same time and when I first was struggling I was reaching out to anybody I knew that had a baby at all and going, please, 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 did you, did you feel like you couldn't sleep even when the baby was sleeping? Did you have intrusive thought? I was kind of going there, hinting, did, did you feel like this? Did you feel like you were crying all the time and traumatized and all the rest of it? And everyone was going, yes, of course I did. And that's why my illness is so hard to diagnose because everybody to some kind of level does experience those things. Like childbirth, does change your life whether it's you know people have euphoric experiences and that's really beautiful for them and obviously that's the dream that everybody wants we've seen it in the movies that kind of crying and screaming at the same time and then like relief it's like doesn't really happen and if you already have a cesarean you can then also feel a bit you know an emergency cesarean like you've kind of failed the athletics of labor and you didn't do very well and you kind of so you got all these failure these shame these kind of words are sticking to you breastfeeding and all the rest of it and then clemmy was one of those mums that was checking in on me being like you're being quiet you know is everything okay and then there's me trying to put on a brave face yes i'm absolutely fine you know pretending to cook cookies or whatever and then and then i just kind of wrote that piece on my phone the next day it went viral and i mean it's a kind of writer's dream for something they write to go viral and actually i could not have felt more like that as the biggest mistake I've ever made I had um tv channels and everyone calling me up and I was like I am so low I can't even step outside my front door why did I do that why did I put that out there I thought I could handle it and now everybody knows my darkest secret and I couldn't front it and I went quiet again and then my publishers a few people had said oh would you like to turn this into a book but again it was the dream it was like all these publishers going come on let's write about it and I was just like I feel like I'm selling my soul like this is something disgusting I'm writing about such a horrible thing I don't think I can and that anxious voice was going to me like bullying me like oh what do you think you're gonna do do, do now go and make something good out of this what do you think you're gonna do like celebrate this like that all that sort of stuff mm. um and I just thought I can't do it but then through the phone it, it just started doing you know when Jet was sleeping Hugo was working I was like I've got so much to say on this. I can't just keep it to myself. And luckily, Rowan Yap that I met at Penguin Random House, when I kind of did meet a few editors, she was the only one that said, she was like, I didn't have what you had, but I was writing things down. The way she kind of looked at me, I was like, oh, you were writing things down in that way, like in that Mm -hmm. weird way that I was writing things down. And I thought she got it. So I just said to her, look, I don't want to commit. I don't want to sign anything. But if I just write things down and send them off in, in chapters, would you be happy to work in that way? And that's how it was kind of born. But it was definitely informed by working with Clemmie. And I think her kind of list style for this was really helpful because it allowed me to say something really big like suicidal thoughts and then say something a bit funnier or a bit lighter. So I could really balance, didn't have to go too in depth. Um, And Clemmie and I, you know, from that... We do have the really tight bond now. We've still only in person met a handful of times, never even on our own, like for a drink or anything. We But we just have a real maternal bond over that, I think.
0: Wow. Yeah. And it makes sense why the book is so, it feels very unique in the way it's written is because it is just coming straight from you. There's no... You're not trying to like put some glitter on it. It's like this is my story, basically.
1: I think also though it takes uh, the reader as well, like um, which is why I'm so grateful to you because how you said you just sat there, had your glasses, glass of glasses. I'm saying glasses of wine, right? There was um, a few. (laughs) How you said you sat there, you had your glasses of wine, and you committed to reading it, but um, that you drank it up in that way and played ball with me I guess that's the kind of reader that I'm just desperately hoping to match because I don't think it is if you get the full that full I guess experience of feeling that you know maybe it's because we know and like each other a lot in real life (laughs) that you felt like you as you said you didn't want to leave me you know you're standing there in the corner of the hospital room and that is just that's you giving me something so back as well and I, so I'm grateful to you as well I hope all
0: readers can connect with it in that way that you are kind of up for doing oh that's that's really lovely of you to say because I that's how I felt I felt like I literally kind of felt like I was holding your hand and I oh. couldn't let go because I was like I just need to get to the end because you know there is an end there and there is a turning point when you were going through this you had a book coming out, didn't you, Big Bones, and you had to cancel everything. And then here you are now doing a podcast about this book. I just feel like that you've come so far. That even though, like you say, though, it's like an ongoing maintenance, isn't it? Our mental health just in general. And we have to just look after ourselves all the time, even if we feel fine. It's like, still got to do the the good things for ourselves oh my god total maintenance that's such a good word
1: for it. it is um my therapist calls it a um, mental hygiene and um, and it is like it, I don't know how you feel with it but or if you've suffered or struggled or how what your relationship is with your listeners but I know you're usually very candid and open but um, for me it's like sometimes I'm like oh I'm totally all right now I'm actually fine and then suddenly I'll kind of loosen the belt a little bit and then it would just catch me and you know at first I was angry I was like why from that one thing do I have to do all these things I shouldn't have to be doing CBT every day or exercising every single day not 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 just for my physicality like for my mental health like this is exhausting but actually who after any trauma wants to have to deal with anything that they're left with it did feel at the time like I was involved in this massive shipwreck and I got to where I needed to be my crew were all somehow safe my cargo was there but everyone was like I'm enjoying this island and I was like I I've seen some things like I can't just relax I can't just forget you know Mm. because some women go through what I've gone through and have done some things they can never take back and I didn't do that. Thank goodness for that, and they have to live with that for the rest of their lives. And I think you were right. It is a happy story for me. You didn't say it happy, but it for me is happy story. And mm-hmm. um, Ka- Catherine Cho, who wrote um, the memoir *Inferno*, which is incredible, which is about her experience of postpartum psychosis, she says this:
0: it's a love story. And I, I was like, it, yeah, it's a total love story. That's so so interesting so I I had written down one of the themes I felt from your book was it was a love letter oh. and also that it was a love letter to your your own mum as well in, in bits oh of it god, I, I know that quiet. sorry I know that I know that your friends and obviously Hugo oh my god what an amazing person but <sighs> there was that your mum came out of the book for me quite a lot and I just felt like wow that's quite amazing that it's wrapped up in so many layers of motherhood there was a
1: whole um because my first draft of this was over two hundred thousand words and when I saw it printed out my the assistant printed out which obviously as you know in publishing world they do not print out that, that many words lightly mm. um because they're um so paper mindful rightly so then they whacked it on and I felt this kind of like oh my god this is no one would ever read this it's two hundred thousand words of like pure, just stuff that maybe just should belong to me and should never be published. It's just too much. But there was a massive section of it, which was a conversation between my mum and I, where I just had managed to break down, because she does wear armour, managed to break her down. She was on holiday and we FaceTimed and she kind of opened up about her own experience of postnatal depression and how it felt watching me go through my experience. I'm so happy that that comes through um, because I think... This definitely has affected my mum and my sister, you know, long... They still can't even speak about it with me. Every time I try and tell them about the book or what's happening, they go, yeah, 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 yeah okay,
0: okay, okay. They haven't read it. They haven't... Mm-hmm. They're just not... They just can't do that right yet. Yeah, that's understandable. But... Because the, the, there's a bit... There, there's a bit I really loved where I think one of the nurses says to you... Makes a comment about how your room was always full and you always had things in there and you always had visitors. And she kind of says something like, not everyone has that. Yeah. And it just made me think, God, I'm so, so grateful for just friends and family.
1: Oh, you know, you really know the book. It's so amazing. Well, one of them went and bought the lamp. I can't remember if that made it into the final version now or not. But one of them told me that she went and cause they bought me this pineapple lamp in and they put my bed through. Like they surrounded my room in colour. And I was a bit, I just felt sick. I was like, I don't know this person anymore. It almost made me sad you know well it did make me sad seeing like they bring rainbow fro and like this um so I had this like neon pineapple lamp and one of the nurses went and bought herself one (laughs) so (laughs) she was like oh I'll go and get that where'd you get that lamp from I was like yeah I'm in psychosis right now so I can't really give you recommendations on where to get this lamp but it's also Argos (laughs) (laughs) no I love it no my family were just I mean that bit it, it only crept in at the last minute actually but um Again, I'm not sure if this was in your proof copy or not, but um my sister one night snuck into the bed and tried to sleep there in the bed with me in my room and she only told me that one day it just sort of came up the whole experience, and she just confessed to me that she was meant she was doing the kind of night shift with me like putting me one one of them always had to put me to bed and stuff, and when they did lights out, she got under the covers and tried to stay the night with me and okay. then the nurse was like came in and was like basically told her to get out but <sighs> That was just like, when she told me that, because I like looking after her. I'm her big sister. It's like all these things, having the family, as you said. Do you have, are you close with your family?
0: Yeah, I really resonated with the sister because I know there's a <sighs> bit with, with your sister where you there's you can't talk to anyone but her. And yeah. she's the one person that is left standing there where you you feel like you don't have to hide from her. And that I found that really moving because I feel the same with my sister. It's like... There's no one else that knows me better.
1: Oh, my God. And I think a big responsibility for her because she was like, wait, you're always meant to know what's going on. And now I'm the only person you'll speak to about your medication. And we don't even like taking paracetamol. It's like suddenly these big, long, wordy, sciencey names of medication is, you know, my sister's the one that's having to be in charge of that. That's a massive Mm. responsibility for her but it didn't put her off having a baby she's just gone and done it herself I said to her I said that she was like this is
0: so hard the sleepless nights I was like tell everyone you've got what I have so you can go and get a rest (laughs) (laughs) that is amazing though that she's now that being a mum that's lovely and because you got married recently as well didn't you so there's lots of amazing things that have happened alongside me reading this book but just lastly I just wanted to ask you because on my proof copy on the cover it says this is not a self-help book this is a start of a conversation. But even though when I got to the end of the book, there is lots of help in the back. And I just thought, you know what, of course, it's not a self-help book, but I think this book is going to help.
1: That's so sweet, Emma. Thank you. I think as I was writing it, when I began, I'll be honest with you, I had took to the medication really well, was home, Jet was growing up, putting on the weight, like everything was going kind of on paper really, really well. But I was left with a whole new host of behavioural tendencies that I'd never experienced before. Uh new anxiety, insomnia, some PTSD, mm-hmm. uh haunted by flashbacks and intrusive thoughts. And I'd never dealt with any of this. And some stuff almost crept into OCD and like it was, I just thought, oh, this is there's this this there's stuff that just I'm going to have to fix somehow. So it wasn't until I was kind of, so writing the book was one massive kind of process and remedy for me that helped. But then there was this other sort of stuff just hanging around. So then I found, I taught myself CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy at home because I would no disservice to the NHS, especially not at this sort of time because, oh my God, they're incredible, obviously. Mm -hmm. And they helped me. But the waiting list to get on the CBT course was about six weeks. If you've ever been going through a mental health, Illness, you know, you have not got six weeks. It's like that just seems like the longest time in the world. You can't. So mm. I managed to teach myself, which I can't, I would recommend to people because it is actually really accessible. At first, it feels like hieroglyphics, but then it does settle. And so I, as I was getting to that bit of the book, I was like, actually, I can't. I would feel like really like I was shortchanging the reader not to give them if any one thing in there helps somebody a little bit because that's really would feel selfish almost of me to have held that back because that was just so helpful for me all of that Um, and then most recently I've learned a new form of therapy called ACT which is acceptance commitment therapy which is even better because you have to do less work it's kind of basically the whole kind of crux of it is doing loads of work to realize you
0: don't need to do anything at all which is just really nice and gentle and it's incredible it's like A glossary of words I didn't even really know about, and I feel like that is just giving the reader something after reading the story. The you know the real this is what happened, and then kind of giving the reader like a list of actual help. I mean, I I was blown away, and and also I guess the other just one thing to kind of end on, I suppose, in terms of the theme of the book, is I did think the power of language was so important because the minute you kind of got a name for it, I felt like things did begin, they did begin to improve. He's so right with any I mean, this is a larger conversation, but with any
1: mental psychological illness, because you can't see it because it's invisible. I mean, mine at points was definitely visible, um, but you can't show somebody what is going on. And Hugo just said that for the beginning. He was like the best advice I could give to anybody going through this to their partner or a friend or someone they love is just talk. Tell us what you're feeling because we can't see it. So you have mm-hmm. to tell us, even if it sounds ridiculous, just say it. The truth is anyone you're saying these words to will kind of know what you're talking about never have I said what I've experienced and a person's gone I don't know what you mean there and they've not been hospitalized or you know been told that they have psychosis this is a spectrum and it's kaleidoscopic but we're all on it Mm -hmm. and I think that's something to remember so you're never going to sound mad if you say those things people know what you're talking about and so I think yeah having a name for it i remember going to meet app and with my sister and them giving me these leaflets with this kind of you know like a concrete pavement with a yellow flower sprouting out for crack you know about recovery and everything with with postpartum psychosis written on the front and I was like oh my god I did not make this up it is real I would spend ages just looking at the NHS website at my illness just going it is real this is okay yeah NHS website this is real I have this because it just seemed like some weird little thing that I had just created you do blame yourself for it and and you know at, at ages and I came to this point recently which was just didn't not in time for the book but there are points when I think maybe did I do this to myself was this my personality and then I think I've got to this point where I'm like yeah maybe even if I did you know I also got myself out and that's the thing that now I hold on to even if my silly childish whatever anxieties or whatever brought me to this position well it set me free too so you know and that's anybody can remember that who got themselves out of any sort of form of mental health issues you're
0: getting yourself out too Wow. I love that. That is so powerful. Yeah. If you can think your way in, you can think out again. Yeah. Oh, well, this, so the book is out on the 23rd of April now. 23rd Um, of April. Amazing. I'm just about
1: to put that right now on Instagram because we've moved it a little bit forward. So we're going to see how that
0: goes. Well, thank you so, so much for that. Everyone listening, go and buy Laura's book and support. And thank you for creating such a brilliant, honest piece of work and art. Love it. Thank you for reading it, Emma.